Hallelujah. Brother David Ellis said by the Holy Ghost in one of the worship meetings that uh, Pastor Nancy asked us to come in with her. And, uh, and he, he said to the people, he said, how many of you, at least half of your worship is written in-house? Nobody put their hand up. And he said, uh, you need to get to the place where more than half is written in-house. Because when a song is written in-house, there's an anointing for that house on that song. The song is written in another place. There was an anointing in that for Bethel. There was an anointing in that for Australia Hillsong. There was an anointing in that. But, and we can, we, can, we can get something from that. But it was, it was not really, it is written for the body, but it was, it was authored in that house because it's an anointing to help that house. But this house, there's a song written for this house in heaven. There's a book of Promise of Life songs written in heaven. Our job is to access that book. And Reverend Taylor's doing that, and my wife is doing that, and others are doing that, and we appreciate that. Amen? Amen. The Lord is with us. Amen. Praise God. God is with us. That's what Randy Greer told me. That's what the Bible told me, and he's with us today. Today, I'm going to share something I've never shared before. Not that I've, I, everything you're going to hear, I've already shared before, but I've never shared it in this way before. I've never put it together. And so uh, we're going to do, this is my story, part one. And this morning, early, early, early this morning, I was up praying and the Lord spoke to me and he said, uh, this is a three-parter, son. He said, I want you to do the next three services on this subject. He said, because it's going to take that long to get your story out. And, uh, and I thought, well, Lord, I was really going to rush. Like I was kind of going into fifth gear right away because I know there's a lot to share. But uh, when, he, when he said that, uh, I was going to do two. But he said, no, I want you to do it over three. And I want you to enjoy yourself and take your time. And, and why are we doing this? Would you open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Psalms, chapter 103. Psalms, chapter 103 and verse 1. You got it? You're going to talk to me today or I'm going to beat you. My God. I can just feel the beating anointing on me today. <laughs> Lord, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not, forget not all his benefits. Now, they list seven of them there. That's not what the sermon's about, but I want you to remember that God said, forget not. Why would he say forget not if it was impossible to forget? He says forget not because he knows some folks are going to forget. And you got to constantly be vigilant in reminding you, reminding yourself. And have a look at Psalms. The only two scriptures I'm going to give you is Psalm 78 now. Have a look at Psalm 78. This is a powerful passage of scripture. And there's a lot in this psalm. We're not going to read the whole psalm, but there's a few verses I want to draw attention to. Psalm 78 verse 2. You there? You got it? I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Which, have, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. What did the next generation say? We're going to speak oh, yeah. because our fathers taught That's us. Right. Yeah. They didn't listen to the father. They had nothing to say. Right. A lot of preachers today got nothing to say because they never learned anything from their fathers. They're trying to come up with some newfangled thing. We will not hide them from their children showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord mm -hmm. and his strength Amen. and his wonderful works that he has done. Yes, 
Didn't talk about the failures, didn't talk about the mistakes, didn't talk about the stumblings. He talked about the strength of God and the wonderful works of God. And he says, we've heard it from our fathers. Now we're going to say it for our children. You hear this? Showing the next generation. Praise God. And that's just not talking about just young people. The next spiritual generation, no matter what age you are. The wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. God is into generational things. That the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God <laughs> and keep his commandments. When you rehearse, when you remember, when you refuse to forget, you will have hope because it will remind you what he did and that he can do it again. Praise God. Notice that, that there would be hope. Did you see that? Verse seven, and that we would keep his commandments to obey. So when we rehearse, it gives us a hope for the future and it helps us to obey in the future because a fear of God comes on us. Look what he did. Look what he can do. And might not be, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Listen, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Now this generation that didn't do this, obviously they didn't remember because it just said, if you remember, you won't do that. So they didn't talk about things. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. You listening? Some of you armed. You've been given, but you turn back in the day of battle. You quit halfway through. You get afraid because of the onslaught. But if you remember, it will make you hope and it will make you obey. I'm telling you, this is important. They kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he showed them. <laughs> Don't forget we have a story. Yes. We are not going to forget what he has done. Yes. Hallelujah. Marvelous things, verse 12. Did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through and he made the waters to stand as he, and it goes on and on and on about all the miracles that he did in the wilderness season for them. A rebellious generation who, who, who were afraid and didn't go into the land of promise and yet he still did miracle after miracle after miracle and he's saying, don't forget. Yes. The ones that weren't right in their heart, notice it says that they forgot. They forgot, verse 11, and they forgot his works and his wonders that he showed them. He's saying, don't forget thee. Now, God gave me these scriptures. And he said, pay attention, son. It's, this is not a waste of time. Because as I was preparing for this today and the next Sunday and the next Sunday, I said, Lord, I don't know, like this other, shouldn't we be teaching? Shouldn't we be doing my job as a pastor? And he rebuked me and he said, you are doing your job as a pastor. You're helping them not to forget. Your job is to help them not forget. So this is spiritual. And this is important. 
Go down, if you would, to verse 34. God does not always think the way we think. That's and when he slew them, then they sought him, and they returned and inquired early after their God, and they remembered yes. that God was their rock, Amen. and the high God, I love it, the high God, their redeemer. I have a high God. <laughs> They're little devils, but I've got a high God. One, I want you to notice that he, there was a punishment. There was an open door. There was a failure. There was a slewing that happened because of their rebellion. And when they repented, they returned and sought God. That means repentance. And what happened, Jenny, when they returned to the presence of God? What's the first thing they did? They remembered. That's right. Amen. You're spiritual. You will remember. Hallelujah. When Paul said, I don't look at the past, he's not talking about the things that God did. He's talking about the fact that he stoned Christians. He's talking about the fact that he murdered people and put them in prison. He's talking about his failures. Those things he put past. I'm not thinking about that anymore. I'm pressing. But the things that God did for him, he remembered. Hallelujah. There's certain things we forget. There's certain things we don't. They remember that God, their high God and their redeemer. I love the wording of that. And lastly, verse 42 and 43. And it says, uh, they remembered not Let's look at verse 41. Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel, and they remembered not his hand, nor the day when he divided, delivered them from the enemy, how he had wrought his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoan. Mm. Notice what it says, that they provoked him and limited him. But then when they, what did they do? How did they provoke and limit? They remembered not. Yeah. Don't limit God in your life. Remember what he's done. At your table with your children, rehearse what he's done. With, with your wife on your date night, rehearse what he's done. To yourself as you're, as you're driving and showering and cooking and whatever you're doing, think about what he's done. Because when you don't remember his mighty works and that he is the high God redeemer, you will limit him in your life. You'll provoke him. We don't want that. We don't want to provoke him. We want him to be pleased with us. I'm telling you, part of pleasing God is remembering. Hallelujah. So we are setting up a table of remembrance in these services. It wasn't my plan, but God said to me, this is what I want you to do. My God. <laughs> he is my high. He is my high God redeemer, Jennifer. He is my high God redeemer. I just want to read that verse. Was it verse 11? Uh, and where is it? Verse 11. And it says, and forget not his works and his wonders. He has done wonders. In my life, he's done some wonders. And since I'm the pastor, sorry that you're not. Go get your own church if you want to be the pastor. But because I'm the pastor, I'm going to tell you about his wonders. I'm going to tell you about my high God redeemer. I'm going to tell you about the marvelous works that he has done. And God is pleased with this expression because he told me, take your time and enjoy yourself. So I know that, I know that the Lord is listening today. And so I'm going to share with you my story. And some of it, I'm going to start off a little bit uh, natural because you have to start natural because you were born, I wasn't born a preacher. So I'm going to start off natural, but we're going to end up spiritual. We're going to pick up Wherever we leave, we're going to pick it up next, next week. Okay? 
uh, I, I grew up in Africa, which is a deep part of my heart. My sister's still there. And some of my earliest memories, not that you care, but I'm telling you my story. <laughs> some of my earliest stories was playing soccer with Phineas, our African gardener. He was just a sweet man. You know, in the apartheid era, the, 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 the African people, they, they were oppressed. They couldn't get other jobs like regular people. And so they, the, the system made them subservient, which is wrong. But they have to feed their families. And so when you're in a, a system like that, you, you, you got to do what you got to do to take care of your babies. Doesn't matter what kind of job it is. And so uh, they needed work. And so people... Uh, other people, people over the years have accused me and said, well, why did your mother, why did your family, why did they do that? You were supporting apartheid. Uh, not really, because uh, a, a support of apartheid is of the heart. But when there are people that are starving and they're saying, can I please fix your flowers for you? Can I please cook for you? Can I please do things? It would actually be wrong. The Bible says if you've got good in your hand, it would be wrong to withhold that help to them. Not that we agree with the system, but we don't make the rules of the system. And I watched my mother and I watched, I watched my, my aunt and my family members that were born again. And they took better care of those because they would tell us, they would tell us, you, 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 you're the best, you're the best boss we've ever had in our life. Give them extra, bless them, give them extra time off, pay them more money than anybody else would pay them because we are a witness to them that Jesus loves you. We're not in agreement with this demonic system, but we're going to help you because you're our brother in the Lord. And I remember Phineas, he played soccer with me when I was just a toddler. Praise God. I'll see him in heaven. He was born again. Do you remember that? What was the name of our, our maid mama that would clean and, and do the vacuuming? Do you remember? When you remember, yell it out to me. But uh, I remember that lady. She was so sweet. And she would, uh, she'd wrap me like the African children. Irene. What? What? Irene. Irene. She would wrap me, the African children, they wrap them on their back with blankets. And they, and they go around and around. And I still, that was one of my earliest memories, was wrapped on her back like an African baby. And she would, and she would vacuum. And she would sing to Jesus. And I'd be there as a little boy and, you know, I'm jostled around because she's vacuuming. And I can still remember her African smell to this day. I can still smell her and listen to her singing while she worshiped Jesus, while she would vacuum and, and work and speak in Zulu and whatever. I, I still remember that to this day. I'll see Irene in heaven. I was born here, so I'm a child of Canada, but I grew up there. Then I came back here, but now I'm going back there. God, can you just make up your mind? You got me here, there, here, there. Which, what, what are we doing here? Which direction are we going? Hmm. And my heritage on my father's side, at least, goes all the way back to the Vortrekkers of the 1700s. Uh, that's our Afrikaner heritage, all the way back to the 1700s. And our family, my, my father's mother's side of the family in 1835, did that big Vork trekker trek from Cape Town into the wilds of Africa and found a piece of vacant land by Fixburg, right by Lesotho, and built a farm. And the family generation stayed on that farm. My father was born on that farm. So were my other two uncles until he immigrated to Canada. And uh, that's, so there's some, there's some heritage of French. 
There's some heritage of English, and there's some heritage of South African and Afrikaner South African. And uh, it's, you know, in some ways, I think that's where I get my sense of adventure, Jenny, is from that, from that Afrikaner heritage, because they just were fearless, and they'd go out into the, into the wild. They had a pioneering spirit, those people. And sometimes you wonder how much of that affects you or not. I don't know, but anyway. I remember when I was, how old was I at the tonsil thing? Three years old. I had to get my tonsils out. I remember that hospital. I have vivid memories, even at that age. Because it was such a bad experience and I couldn't speak. My mother would be there beside me in the bed, uh, you know, sitting beside the bed. And I would whisper to her Bible. That's all I could say. Bible, Bible. And she would get my children's Bible. And she'd read to me for hours. And if I wanted her to repeat a story, I'd say, go back, go back. Like I do with you. Go back. Go back. And she'd read that story again and show me the pictures. I don't know, I've just had a love for the Bible and a love for Jesus from my earliest memory. Because the Bible is the, it's, it's, it, see, my spirit was reaching out for it. I didn't understand the doctrine of it back then, but my spirit was reaching out for it. Praise God. And then at the uh, Christmas things, gatherings with all the family, 30 people, whatever, my mother would, would tell me, I don't really, I remember this, but I don't remember it that clearly, but she would say, uh, I, I would put my hand up when everybody was doing speeches and she would say, Craig has something to say. And I was two and a half, three, I couldn't speak fully. And I would stand up, pull my dummy out of my mouth and I'd begin to preach. But in my own language, I knew what I was saying, but nobody else could understand. And my mother, I put my dummy back in my mouth and sit back down. And I remember, I, I, I knew what I wanted to say, but English just, I don't know, if, I don't think it was tongues. I don't know what it was. It was Craig. It was the language of Craig. But I was preaching even from a tot to the, to the sinners in the family. Problem is they couldn't get saved because they couldn't understand what I was saying. And then my red record player broke and my stepfather, who was very mechanical, spent hours trying to fix that silly thing. And back then, you didn't just go to the store and buy a new red record player. Don't you understand? There aren't, there aren't red record players. And even if they were, they're too expensive. You know, you know, back then, it was different. Now you just order on Amazon. Back then, if it broke and you couldn't fix it, you did without. People don't in this generation don't remember that. Most of you do because you're old. But anyway... But I was so heartbroken about that little red record player. And I remember I went over there. I remember and I laid my hands on it. And I said, in Jesus' name, be healed. I didn't know that the doctrine that you can't heal an inanimate object. But that's what I said. In Jesus' name, be healed. And uh, I turned that thing on and it started playing like new. And my stepfather, I remember his shock. He said, this is not possible. This is not possible. This thing is totally, and he was a mechanical-minded man. He could fix cars. He could do all that stuff with engines. And he said, this is not possible. And even to him, who was kind of backslidden at the time, uh, or not, I don't know about backslidden, but he was not hot for God. Like my mother was always hot for God. But he was kind of half and half. You know, like cream, he was half and half. we, we, we We want, you know, be all fat or all skim, but don't be half and half. All right? Uh, and it was a witness to him that the power of God and angels can do things, even for a small child that didn't understand. I remember going to Living Waters Church by the sea in Durban North. That's where we lived, Durban North. I remember the night services. They were long. And I would crawl under the pew and fall asleep. I remember because I would always put where my mother's legs were, 
I would always make sure my head was between her legs. You know, her feet, her ankles. And, uh, and I could see, I couldn't see through because of the chairs, but I could see all the way to the stage through her ankles. And I always put my head kind of right there so I could, right by her ankles, in between her ankles, it made me feel safe. And I'd fall asleep listening to them preach. You see, it's important that your kids are in church whether they're tired or not. I believe those things have impact. I remember listening to a man when I was just a tiny little kid named Dumini Smith. He was an Afrikaner. And he, would go, and he would tell stories about going into the wilds of Africa and South Africa. And he would talk about going and, and the witch doctors would come out and confront him in the villages. And he would talk about the Indian people. That, you know, because you know, there was a large Indian population and some of them were full of demons. I mean, they were demon possessed with their Hindu gods and all this stuff. And he would talk about how the witch doctors would walk on the coals of fire in front of him. Yeah. In the middle of the fire, they would walk and, and, and say, look at the power of our God. And he would cast the devils out of them and preach the gospel to them and go into the wilds of Africa and see which doctors uh, fall to the power of Jesus. Man, I tell you, Sandy, when I heard that, I mean, I got up under the pew and I set up to listen to him. I don't care how tired I was. And I, I remember saying to myself, one day I will do that. That was my hero. I didn't care about sports or anything like that. My hero... I mean, I like Knight Rider and David Hasselhoff. He was very cool. All right. He was kind of a hero. I mean, that's where I got my love for fast cars. I don't know. And my car talks to me now, just like his car does. I mean, it's just wonderful. But, uh, but my hero was people like Dumini Smith and others that were going out into places that nobody else had gone. And I didn't realize it at the time, but there was a seed that was in me for that type of ministry. And God was watering that seed with those ministers. Thank God for the local church. They didn't understand faith the way we do. It was not a faith church, but it was a good assemblies of God church that they loved Jesus and they believed in the power of God. And our pastor, unlike many pastors of the day, refused racism. And he, would, and he would have, and, and the police at times would get on his case, but he would invite other people to come, you know, people of color to come, and would get in trouble for it. And he always said, there's no color in heaven. Amen. And I preached at that church. God gave me the privilege of going back and preaching in the same church I got born again in. I taught on the blood that morning to his son, who's now the pastor. I remember those days. One day, I'll go to dangerous places like Dumini did, uh, where others are afraid to go. And that's still, that's still coming to pass. Then on May 23rd, 1982, at six and a half years old, wearing brown shoes, brown sandals, and a brown shirt, why did you love brown so much? In fact, Sue, stand up just for a second for me. Just stand up for a second. Just stand up. Look to, turn around. It looks to me like you're wearing brown again. My God, what's up with you and brown? My Lord. And there was a guest minister, and he had preached a fiery sermon, and my mother had been trying to get me to go up for six months. And I kept saying, leave me alone. I don't think I said woman, but I'll say it now. Leave me alone, woman. What have I to do with thee? I'll go when I'm ready. And I made a decision. I'm not going because somebody pushes me. I'm going. And when I go, it's for the rest of my life. And for about six months, I listened. And on that day, it was, and she said, he'll never go up today because that, she said it was a little bit of a, almost a scary sermon, but I wasn't scared at all. And I went up there and the stage was taller than me. And a man named Tony came and took me in the back and prayed with me. And I gave my heart to Jesus. He gave me a little card. It says May 23rd, 1982. And he told my mother afterward, he said, I've never seen a young person so serious about Jesus. 
And that was my day of new beginnings. You say, but at six and a half, what do you need? What, what, what is there to new begin? At that age, I knew I was a sinner. The day of accountability comes differently to every person. Some people, it comes to them at 19. Others, it comes to them at six or even earlier. But I knew that day I needed the blood of Jesus. I wasn't, I wasn't in danger of hellfire very long, but I was. Every human being has a moment where they realize if I don't receive Jesus, I'm on my way to a place I don't want to go. And that was my great turning day. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's important that you remember those days. That was 41 and a half years ago. Woo! And I loved animals. And I wanted to work with animals. I didn't write, I liked people, but I loved animals. People were okay. But animals were perfect. Animals either hated you or loved you. They either tried to kill you or not. I like the extremes. And I remember when we're out there in the middle of the bush, no, I don't know where we were, far away. And I always ran ahead like Luke does today. I always ran ahead to scout the path. I had to pioneer the path. And my mother and stepfather would just be dragging, holding hands and smooching and all this stuff. And they'd just be, they'd bring up the rear, but I was out pioneering the path. But this time she's looking, where's Craig? Where's Craig? I don't know. He's always up there. He's always checking stuff out. Where is he? I don't know. They turn around and I'm way on yonder because I found a friend. I found that beautiful snake. A poisonous snake, which I didn't know. And I picked that baby up and I, he wrapped around my neck. And I, and I still remember he was right here and his tongue was touching my nose as he was flicking and he was staring at me. And I was stroking his head. And I was saying, I love you. You are, no, I remember. I, was say, I remember to this day, I was saying, I love you. You're one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And he was just, and when my stepfather saw it, he ran screaming, grabbed it by its head, you know, so it couldn't bite me. He yelled at me, do you realize where we are? If that had bitten you, we couldn't get you to a hospital. You're just a small little kid that will have killed you. I said, he was my friend. <laughs> we were out camping and there was a nice scorpion. So I decided to adopt it and I would play with it. And it would stick its tail up. And I thought, I didn't know why it was doing that because I'm his friend. Until my stepfather ran over and smashed it with his foot. Said, what are you doing? I guess, I don't know. The only thing I didn't like was spiders. Everything else I liked, but spiders are from hell. I don't like them. And we found one member in Granny's, in, in Auntie Joe's place, and Granny was there. We found one that was literally the size of a small dinner plate. And uh, her mother... Granny screamed, ran out the room. I came in. When people are screaming, I'm going toward it. And I saw that thing and I called my stepdad and he took off his, his, his sandal and that thing was looking at us and it was trying to escape. And he said, now block it here and I'll block it there. I said, yes, sir. And I'm, 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 I'm ready. I'm blocking that thing. And he had to nail that thing with all his, he was a big man three times with all his might until it splattered. And then it stuck on the bottom of his shoe. And he came to her mother, my granny. She was on the phone. And he, did the, he said, hey, look at this. And she went, ah! And, and people thought she'd had a heart attack on the other end of the phone. It was just wonderful. We love animals, but we murder spiders. That is the rule in the field family. I told you I'm taking my time with this because this is my story. I remember catching my first fish in the Umgeni River. That was an event. 
I remember going to game wildlife reserves and telling my cousin Richard Field, I said, I'm going to be a game ranger. He was two years older than me. He said, I will too. He became a game ranger and I became a preacher. <laughs> I remember loving those, uh, those, uh, those native African children and uh, certain of family members were not renewed in their mind about, about race. And I remember being rebuked and threatened by family members about, you don't bring, we don't, we don't associate with those kind of people. And I remember looking at them just as a little kid and said, why? Jesus doesn't love you any more or less than he loves them. I remember that even as a kid having a measure of persecution because of, of, of wanting to be with everybody. And now look at our church, over 40 nationalities, honey. I remember swimming in that ocean and doing that boogie boarding. I remember my mother would make ham sandwiches on little white, little white buns. I can taste it today. Coming out of that water, we'd be there for eight, nine, ten hours in the ocean. Coming out, running up. Mama, give me one. She'd give me one. I'd give me another one. And I'd run back and eat that and swallow it fast. You don't chew when you're hungry, you just swallow. And then getting in those waves and doing that bodyboarding and coming back and eating more ham sandwiches, those are very special memories for me. I remember my granny walking, her mother walking me on the beach and picking up shells with me. She was the sweetest, kindest person I've ever met in my life, is my mother's mother. And she's waiting for us, praise God in heaven. She was born again, spirit-filled Catholic. She loved those stained glass and those ridiculous robes, but she loved Jesus. Hallelujah. God, God will let people love their silly nonsense as long as you love him. I remember the dangers in the mid-80s and the apartheid and, the, and, the, and the, it was just getting very dangerous. And uh, I remember my mother once, we were going to go to a, a restaurant and uh, the Lord in her heart said, don't go there. And I wanted to go to that restaurant because they had grilled cheese. In my opinion, grilled cheese was better than filet mignon. I don't know. And, uh, and she said, no, we're not going. We're going up to visit your aunt. And that night in that area, a bomb went off and killed people in that restaurant. And so I, I remember as a little kid thinking, my God can talk to you and he can protect you. Even when you don't know what's about to happen. And now here we're teaching on about how to be led by the spirit. But she, she, she demonstrated that for me. Hallelujah. I remember hearing on the news that the terrorists blew up the chemical plant. The terrorists broke the railway, blew up the railway. The terrorists, that's why there's no electricity this morning, because the terrorists, see the apartheid government would call the ANC terrorists, the African National Congress, which I thought was hilarious since years later, my brother-in-law, Ibrahim, was the head of the terrorist organization. My mother had no idea that her future son-in-law was the one doing all of that. Uh, and he was the, he was the leader of Encontes Huesuese, which is the spear of the nation. That is the armed wing of the African National Congress. And he would carry out, they didn't hurt people, but they would carry out raids to try to put pressure on the South African government to end apartheid. And I remember that. I remember waking up in the morning and seeing on the screen terrorists. Who would have thought that I would be related to one? (laughs) Praise God. I, I just think that's magnificent. 
I just think. And he was with Nelson Mandela for 19 years in prison. And he was the only person in all of the ANC that when they caught him and they released him, that he didn't flee to England or, or the Netherlands or where all the other people, they left the country. He's the only one that went back into the field and kept fighting against apartheid and got caught again and tortured for two weeks in the infamous prison. They tortured him for two weeks to get him to give up his comrades, and he wouldn't. So they threw him in that hole for the rest of his life. But when Nelson got out, of course, he exonerated all the men that had been thrown in for life sentences. So there's a little bit of a fight in our family against injustice. And I think that's a good thing. I remember coming to Canada and not liking it as soon as I arrived. <laughs> you understand. Not liking the winters. The first time I saw snow, I was horrified. I called it dandruff from heaven. I remember not liking the culture. They weren't very warm. I didn't like the food. They didn't have African meat. There was no beaches, no animals, no adventure, and no fun. And I said, Mama, I want to go back. I don't care if they're killing people in the streets. Let's just go back. <laughs> but there was a divine and higher purpose. And we came here for a reason. And within two weeks, we joined Evangel Temple. It matters that you're led to the right church. The home of the mantle. How would we have known? How could we ever have known? An immigrant family from Africa. How could we have known that Dr. Dufresne, years later, would see a vision? And that mantle was downtown, and then it went uptown. And that was the church uptown. And God took us right to the mantle. Within two weeks of arriving on this shore, he said, you have, because he knew it was coming, and we had to, I had to serve that mantle. I'm telling you, so from 12 years old, I served that mantle without even knowing there was a mantle. I think that's amazing. Praise God. Remember, he had that vision, and he saw, he saw the old evangel temple, Amy Simple McPherson, under her apostleship planted that church under Willard Pierce in 1917. And that mantle, she said, take my mantle to the shores of Canada. And now all these years later, Pastor Nancy has her castle. I can't get into details because it's private, but our church, more than any other person in America, is helping with that castle. I can't get into details right now, but I'll share it at the right time. But God, God touched Pastor Nancy's heart, and she said, there is supply here. I'm just talking about money. There is supply here for my castle. And God has opened up some, uh, something amazing, and, and Promise of Life is helping with that castle in a way that nobody else has a privilege to help. And I'll explain more at the right time. But I just think it's amazing that that mantle that was from Amy... And all these years later, we're serving her. And she is a, she is a, a, she is a continuation of that anointing yeah. that's on Amy. She's a healing evangelist like Amy was. She even looks like Amy with her blonde, beautiful hair. And she just, Amy was a, just a flamboyant, beautiful person inside and out. And, 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 here, and, and here we are serving that mantle, serving her, having that mantle that had nothing to do with Pastor Nancy and the Dufresne's, but God saw fit to just somehow blend the paths together. Now we're helping with that. You can't make this stuff up. But it started by me getting into the right church. Church matters. Because without it, you don't grow. I'm telling you my story. It's your fault that you came this morning. 
But if you'll listen, you'll get something. I remember being baptized in the Holy Ghost under Carrie Carmichael. She was a layman in the church, but she was apt to teach. And she laid hands on me, and I couldn't understand why I started to weep. Because when you're a young teenager, you don't cry in front of people. But I started to weep and weep, and in that weeping came a beautiful language. And I've been praying in tongues ever since. It was the second greatest day of my life is when I got the Holy Ghost. I remember that as a young teenager. I remember serving in every ministry of helps possible except the finance department. You set me loose in an open church, just watch out. I remember helping June in the television department and getting Benny Hinn tapes on the blood. <laughs> I remember helping Abe, the janitor. I'd come sometimes when nobody else was in the building on a weekday. And uh, they gave me a key for everything because they couldn't get rid of me. And I would go and I'd get the mops. And he'd say, what are you doing here? I'd say, I'm here to serve. He says, nobody else does this. Go home, watch television, go play soccer or something. No, I, I got to serve Jesus in the house. And I'd get the mops and I'd mop the floors with him. Nobody asked me to do that. Nobody told me to do that. Nobody assigned that to me. Listen to me. If, you, if, God, if you're ever going to be used by God in any capacity, you've got to serve. And you've got to have a servant heart, not just Lorraine putting the boots to you to say, you need to serve. There should be something that comes out of you. This is God's house. This is not about a pastor. This is God's house. I'm serving God when I serve in this place. And I'm telling you, I have blazed the trail. I've set an example for that because I lived that. Even as a young person. I remember helping in the kitchen and the tuck shop, organizing the storage rooms, painting. I remember going to the parks and preaching. I remember singing in the choir. <laughs> I remember uh, <laughs> my most expansive ministry of helps was serving in the 150-member youth group, bigger than most some little churches today, and preaching to them. I was very close to that first, my youth pastor. I remember the first day he arrived. Well, before he arrived, we had another youth pastor, and he just had a way with kids, and he would look at me. And he'd look at me with intensity and he'd say, Craig, you've got so much of God in you. If you fart, six people will get healed. <laughs> I mean, he, he meant it with all his heart. And I said, I remember looking at him and going, oh. And I, and I said, should, should, do you want me to do that now? Like, 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 should I try that? Like, I don't know. At the altar, am I supposed to do that? And, and he'd say, no, no, you just lay hands on them. But I'm telling you, you're filled with it. Thank God for good use pastors that help you understand things that no, none of the other people would say that to me. I remember thinking, my God, even when I fart, people are going to get healed. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. But I won't. I'm just letting you know that I could. I could, but I won't. I remember when Pastor Anthony arrived on his first day, that youth pastor left, and you've got a 2,500-member church and almost 200 people in the youth group. You need a, a good pastor, a good youth pastor. And I remember he preached his first message, and we were sitting in this little room, and two young, rebellious young ladies stood up in the middle of his sermon, turned their seats around, and sat facing me with their backs to him to insult him. And I remember thinking, even at that young age, this is dishonorable. And I stayed real close with him. And he helped mentor me, and he, and he was a very kind man to me. He took me under his wing, and uh, he, just, he just answered so many questions, gave me opportunities, took me on, uh, went out for lunch with me, just, just loved on me, really like a spiritual father in many ways. 
Because when you go to church that big, you don't have that much access to the senior pastor. So your youth pastor becomes very important to you. I remember that. I remember, you okay? You're not too bored. I remember uh, going and getting water baptized before my first mission trip because my mother said, you need to go through the waters of baptism. I said, but I'm saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Why do I need to do that? And she took me in the Bible and said, because the Bible tells us we have to. And so I remember going, we had a baptism tank built into the back of the stage. And I remember going down and they baptized me and I got up out of those waters and, and got on a, on, a, on a bus and went to Florida and did what they called booth camp training at teen missions and getting on a plane and flying to Sweden. And uh, that was my first mission trip. I remember that 15 years old. And what we did, they were Baptists. They don't believe in the Holy Ghost or power. But what they do believe is hard work. I would prefer the former. But I got the latter. And so we built a missionary house. And I remember that. It was hard work, man. We worked eight hours a day. And then uh, on the weekends, we'd go witness. Because the work project was more important than soul winning. But we'd go witness. And I'd witness on the streets in Gutenberg, Sweden. And they're very intellectual there. And, you know, the, the church there is very religious in, in, that, in that country. And I, and I would preach and there would be no success. They would be, there was not one person that got saved. And I gave it my best. And I realized afterward that, a, that evangelism and missions without the power of God is a complete, and it's not a waste of time because we were able to help people. But I am called to more than building a house. I'm called to getting people saved. And I realized very quickly, like Paul did on Mars Hill, that trying to discuss people with mentally don't, don't work. Yes. You need the demonstration of the spirit and power. Yes. You with me? Yes. So I, I, that was a good experience. It's good that you have those experiences because otherwise you don't realize what you're missing. Yes. So the next year, that was 1992 at 16, sorry, 1991 at 16 years old. Uh, uh, I'd come back from that mission trip and about a month later, I was seeking God and I was going to be a game ranger. And then I figured if I don't do that, because you have to do vet school, and that takes a lot of math and science, which I didn't exactly enjoy. So I was looking for other non-vet school areas just as a backup plan. And I like talking to people. and I like helping people. So I thought, well, maybe I could be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. So I was looking into that. Then I thought, but I also like bossing people around and attacking people. So I thought a police officer would fit me just good. So I was looking into going into the police force. I'd love to pull you, some of you over. I just would love it. Sometimes if I ever am pulled over, I say, I'd do a better job than you, sir. But don't say that because then they give you a bigger ticket. But I was considering those things. And at the beginning of my 16th year, within a week of turning 16, exactly six months in, and on the last week before I turned 17, I had three visitations from God. And in all three, he talked to me about the call to the fivefold ministry and that I'm not to go into this area. I'm not to go back to Africa and I'm not to do these things that I'm to preach the gospel. And I remember going to my youth pastor and thank God he didn't say, oh, I don't know about that. He said, well, I can see something's on you. And he said, I'm going to help you. And he was a great help to me in those years. And so uh, in 19, uh, you know, I accepted that call at 16 and the following year in 1992, we did our first real mission trip to Hungary, Romania, and the Ukraine. I was his assistant, but you know, there was other adults on the trip, so I wasn't officially a co-leader, but he kind of leaned on me more than anybody else. And I remember we went to Bucharest, Romania, which was part of the communist area back then. And uh, we stayed in a place where, where Stalin had stayed in that hotel. And there was pictures of Stalin everywhere. 
And, uh, and we went out on the streets and I remember that day was a hot day, unusually hot, almost 40 degrees in, 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 hung, in Romania. That's not common. It's not hot, hot like that, but it was a boiling hot day. And I remember there's a little video. I think we played it once in a while in the past, but, but I, I preached on the streets. That was my first time ever preaching, but not in an official pulpit capacity, just in a, to this, you know, and people gathered and we handed out tracts and I was preaching about Jesus coming and dying and people got saved that day. And Jenny, I said, my God, you can just preach. God comes on you and people give their heart to Jesus. I mean, what's better than that? And so we had a great experience that day. And the reason I remember that is because that night it was so hot. And we went back to that, that, that hotel with Stalin everywhere. And we're lying there. And all the windows are open because there's no air conditioning. And my, we shared rooms, you know, two boys at a time. And I had Devin Devalia, my friend, who was a little older than me. He was in the bed beside me. And we're trying to sleep. And, uh, and all, you know, he's had to go to the, the bathroom. And so we went to the bathroom and took, put the light on. I couldn't sleep. It was too hot. No fans or nothing. And with the little light coming through the bathroom... And then some of the street lights coming from outside, because remember, the windows are open. Uh, I, I looked up, I'm just lying on my back, and I'm just looking up. And when he turned the light on, and then he closed the door, uh, it seemed that I saw something, but I wasn't sure if it was my imagination. So I just thought I'd wait there and just wait for a second. And then he opened the door, uh, turned the light off, and I just had another little short thing. And I thought to myself, huh, why is the ceiling moving? So I said, Devin, turn the light on. So he turned the light on. And I, I, we just stared at the wonder and the miracle of the ceiling that was moving. Do you know why the ceiling was moving? Because there was thousands of one and a half inch cockroaches across the entire ceiling and they were moving. And as I'm standing, sitting, lying there looking, they, they walk over each other and lose their grip and then they fall. And one fell right here and started crawling up my... And I, 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 you know, I knocked it off and then I looked down and there's about a hundred cockroaches on my bed. And I look on the floor and there's cockroaches on the floor. And I screamed and Devin screamed. He's from, he's from, uh, he's from Zambia originally. He's African too. He screamed, I screamed and he looked at me and he said, are you ready? <laughs> and I said, I am my brother. Let's go. And you could hear people screaming down the hallway. You could hear people running down the whole girls, man. Girls, they're just screaming. And, and we got our sandals. We zipped up our bags so they wouldn't get in our clothes. And we started going at it. And, uh, and, and for two hours, we beat those cockroaches. There were hundreds of them dead. And we'd look up and the ceiling was still. You couldn't see paint. And what we found out later is that the, the, the heat wave brought a cloud of cockroaches. And they hit the side of that hotel. The other side where Pastor Anthony was sleeping didn't have one. But the side that I was at, I'll never forget that as long as I live. But I'm glad I, that happened because it marked the day that I preached and for the first time Giva got saved. So the devil was angry and he sent the cockroaches from hell. See, if you want to have missions, you've got to be ready for anything. Says the missionary, yeah, I'm good. Anyway, so, you know, you can't kill them all. You can't kill them all. They would fall in our hair and it just, you can't kill them all. So we just, we just left and went and slept in the lobby all night long. And uh, anyway, praise God. But I remember that. 
That was my first day preaching publicly. I remember that. I'm glad there was something to mark the occasion. And then we went over from uh, Hungary and then Romania and then we went into the Ukraine and we went to the Chernobyl Children's Hospital in the Ukraine where the woman that had been pregnant during the Chernobyl blast in 1986 were pregnant. And remember, this is only in 1990. What is this, 1992? So this is only six years later. And so a lot of the little children that they were pregnant with came out deformed. And they had a third floor that they wouldn't let us up there because there were literally people with three arms and, you know, two noses. Like, it was an extreme ward. And they said, we don't allow foreigners to see this. Uh, but he said, they'll send you to the internal the internal ward and every everybody in that internal ward had missing organs or they had more organs than they should have and it was just a lot of uh, a lot of little children and they're all they're all they're all they were born and they were in the womb in 86 and this is 92 so they were all about five six years old the whole hospital was five six year old little kids and all of them had probably hundreds of them and I would and we walked into the main guy and he was there was pornography everywhere and, uh, and, you know, this is Soviet kind of era times. I mean, the walls come down, but this is still very Soviet mindset, very Russian mindset. And, and, I, and I had a lady that was with me, a, a, one of my team members, and we went into this little room, tiny little room, just, just six feet wide by maybe 10 feet. Looked like, they were like little cells. It looked like, didn't look like a hospital room. They were little cells virtually. And uh, she had the largest woman I've ever seen in my life, called a babushka. That woman, I don't know how big she was, at least, I don't know how big she was, but I've never seen a woman ever in my life since or before larger than her. I mean, she almost took up the six feet. She was probably 600 pounds. I don't know how big she was, 500 pounds, but she was massive. And, she, and, and her stomach came out like this. And, and she could barely touch her fingers. But she was sitting there on the chair, just touching her fingers, looking at me. And the translator said, this is the grandmother, this is the girl, and she doesn't have any nerves on the right side of her face. And all of her, this was all drooped, and her eye was discolored, and her skin was discolored. And, and she looked up at me, that six-year-old Jenny, she looked up at me, and she smiled. And this side went up, and this side was dead. I'll never forget that picture of a half smile. And the fire of heaven flashed through me. And I, I heard the Holy Ghost say, lay your hands on her. And I said, Lord, what do I say? And he said, quote Romans chapter 8, verse 2. So I said, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free from the law of sin and death in the name of Jesus. And I took my hand away and I felt like, like air. There was an air current in the room. I don't quite know what it was to this day. But then when I heard Bill Matthews talk about that wind that came in that, there was something happening in that room. I felt an air current start to swirl. I don't know, didn't know what it was at the moment because I was just looking at her and I said, and I said, baby, smile at me. And she started going, and it started going up and up and up and her eye opened and the color returned and it took about 12 seconds. And that babushka started, she started screaming. I mean, she's looking, she don't know who I am. This is her little baby. This is her granddaughter. And she, was, she jumped off. The, I didn't know big people could move that fast. She jumped off that chair in a lightning bolt and she started screaming. I mean, remember, we're just in there alone. There's a translator, me and my team member. There's only three of us plus the babushka plus the girl. There's no doctors. And she starts screaming at the top of her voice. I mean, screaming. 
And I could hear people running down the hallway because they didn't know what was going on. They thought there was an emergency. And these doctors burst into the room and they're looking and they started screaming. The porno doctors. And, she's, and she looked at me and she's babbling and I don't know what she's saying in Russian, but the translator says, she's saying, what have you done? What have you done? What have you done? And, I, and I, so I answered, I said, it's not me, it's Jesus. Yeah. And she said, Jesus. And she grabbed me. <laughs> I was only 110 pounds at that point. And she pulled me. She, she meant it innocently, but it was a scary experience. She pulled me into herself. I remember to this day, the fat that she had went around my body. Like literally, I was enveloped inside of her. I felt it. I felt it around my back. And, and, and my face is right in her cleavage. And I'm front on, Jenny. She pulled me right into her. And she starts to jump. Wow. Screaming screaming, screaming, I mean, in joy. And I remember, like, at first I thought, well, I'm grateful, I'm glad she's grateful. And then, I, honestly, I'm not jagged. I really got afraid. Because I, I'm going to get killed. And then she lost her balance, and she, and she tripped, and she went into the wall. She hit the wall, but the, vi- the reverberation through the fat, I could feel me hitting the wall through her. And she kept hitting the wall and my head was going like this. And I remember, I remember saying, Jesus, save me. I remember, I remember saying it. I hope they didn't translate that to her. I remember saying, Jesus, save me. I don't want my first miracle to be my last. And the doctors had to pry me out of her grip. But she was weeping. And that little girl was looking at everybody, smiling looking at herself in the mirror, smiling, touching her face. And I did research afterward, and I found the medical condition that that is called. There's actually a medical condition. And what they did is uh, she was waiting for surgery. There were no nerves. They have to put nerves, and then, after, and if they, then they have, if they can successfully attach a living nerve to the dead nerve, uh, in her case, she didn't even have nerves. So they would have had to put a, a living nerve in, and she was waiting for the surgery. It hadn't happened yet. Then they said medically it takes one year for every inch for nerves to grow on their own. And I found out after it how many inches did she, did she not have? And they said 10 to 12 inches. She never had nerves of 10 to 12 inches up all the way up into the, this part of her upper temple area. 10 to 12 inches. And they said it would take one year per inch. That would have taken by medical standards with a successful surgery 12 years. And I remember it took 12 seconds. God grew a nerve. God grew one inch per second. I remember that was an amazing miracle. And other team members had miracles. And children that were in a coma came out of a coma instantaneously. And children that had no kidneys, God gave them new kidneys. I mean, this is just a little youth group of 19, 20-year-olds. And God just did just hundreds of miracles all over that hospital. Simply because we believed. So if you've got somebody that's sick, just believe. You know more than I did. I just believed. Hallelujah. Hope your lunch is going to come on time because we won't get out till two, but that's okay. You can laugh. I'm just kidding. Jeepers. <sighs> we came back from that mission trip and I preached my first sermon at 16, at the end of my 16th year, uh, to, to a group of 150 people. 
and uh, I preach on the subject of heaven. I studied Judson Cornwell's book. He's a, a, a theologian, but a little bit on the dry side, but a sweet man. And uh, I was told afterward that that was a very boring and long sermon. But I preached on heaven, and I realized very quickly that that's not how you preach, because really all I did is regurgitate his book. But, uh, but we learned a lot about the New Jerusalem. I still remember the dimensions today. From my, we're going to see it one day. But that was my first sermon was on heaven to a group of 150 young people, official pulpit sermon, and uh, I was told it was long and boring. But that was the only time I was ever told that because I changed. But praise God for humble beginnings. And then, uh, and then I, I turned 17 and uh, the pastor asked me to, if I would give marriage counseling to one of the parents whose daughter was in the youth group with me. And I said, but sir, I don't know anything about marriage counseling. He said, you got the Holy Ghost, don't you? I said, yes, but I don't know anything about marriage counseling. He goes, you, 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 God healed the nerves, didn't he? I said, yeah, but what has that got to do with marriage counseling? He said, don't worry, you'll be fine. And so I was thrown into a room with a couple that were about to get divorced because of sexual problems. And they were talking to me and I'm just acting like I know exactly what they're talking about. And I have no idea what they're talking about, but God would give me answers. And so I started marriage counseling at, at uh, 17 years old. Just turned 17. I just, that's my story. It's amazing, Jenny. And then later in 93 at 17, we went to El Salvador on our first mission trip. First, not first mission trip, but smaller group. The Europe one was a big group. This is a small group. And we went into this youth, we did a youth, a youth thing. They had 400 young people come from all over the country, out in the country. And, they, and we gathered in this rural area and they had stilts but no, no walls and just a roof and, and this massive storm came and I'll never forget it on one of the nights. I mean a massive storm rolled in and uh, Anthony's preaching and uh, all of a sudden the power goes out and the lights go out and there's no microphone and there's no sound and a lightning bolt hit a tree from where that wall is to me. I don't know if you've ever seen a tree explode by a lightning bolt before, but it freak you out. And that lightning bolt struck that tree just 10, 15 feet from us and it exploded and people are screaming and this rain comes in and it's horizontal rain. There's no walls, so the rain is coming horizontally. And, there's, and all the sound system is, is kaput and everyone, and, and, and you know, this, this panic starting to break out. And one of the native pastors, the local pastors got up and he just, and he said something in Spanish, which I found out later was calm, be calm, be calm. God is with us. Because when your tree explodes and I mean, it, 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 people get afraid, you're going to die. You don't know if it's a hurricane or if there's a tornado or what's going on. And he just started to sing himself, Santo, 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 Sal Señor, Santo, Santo. And everybody started singing. Can you sing with me, Taylor? Santo, Santo, Santo. Sing, missionary. Santo, Santo. Do you know what that means? Holy, 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 holy is the Lord. And they sang that phrase for one hour straight in pitch black. There was a couple flashlights, but that's all you could see with the rain and the thunder. I mean, the thunder made your bones rattle. 
and they sang that song for an hour in that storm and then it broke and we left and we came back and Pastor Anthony said, who has a testimony? And there was 400 kids there, Jenny. There was over 200 young people that rushed the stage. <laughs> one had cancer, a growth, and it fell off their body while they were singing. Another one had this problem. Another one had no kidney and, and the kidney God gave him a new kidney. I mean, there were people with demons and they said, I, we were singing and I felt things coming out of my mouth. Demons were leaving my body. Hundreds of stories of deliverance and healing. I'm telling you, you, you don't even need people to lay hands on you. If you just connect with worship, God can do things in the worship moment that I'm telling you will astonish you. We saw so many miracles. I preached in that conference in, with an, first time with an interpreter. Well, not first time. I guess I, I'd done Russia too, but, but it, it just felt different to me. And it just had a wonderful time. And then we were there, you know, the meetings go to one in the morning and then we have to drive back and we're driving back and they told us where you're driving. It was right on the border of the jungle. And he said, where you're driving now in that jungle, there are paramilitary guerrillas. Because it was, El Salvador was still a very volatile place. Even though the war had ended, they were still, and they would look for gringos. That's white people. And they would either kill them or, or hold them for ransom. And so they said, you got you to gotta move very, very quickly when you go through this one area. Because there's a lot of danger there. But it's the only way we can get back to the city where our hotel is. And it was about an hour and a half drive to one way to get to this meeting and back. And so we're going and the car dies right where they told us, go as fast as you can through this area. And the car died, the engine died. We got no cell phones. This is before the age of cell phones. Nobody knows where we are, except the people at the hotel. There's a man that's waiting for us. And we're there and the jungles are right, right beside us. And, and, and I, I remember I was standing in the back of the pickup truck in the bed, you know, because I didn't like to be restrained. So I would stand up in the back of the pickup truck for the wind to go through my hair when we'd drive. And just hold on like they do in the, in, in, in the Western stuff, you know, cowboy stuff. Anyway, and, and so I, I'm banging on the roof. I'm saying, what, what, what's going on? He said, shut up. What's going on? Shut up. Because there's gorillas in that forest. And I don't mean hoo-hoo gorillas. I mean gun gorillas. They'll kill you kind of gorillas. So he said, be quiet. And, 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 and so I, I, I sat down in the truck and I said, what's going on? He said, we're, we're in trouble. And I mean, he was afraid. He was actually really afraid. And the, and, the, and, the, and the other pastor, the El Salvadoran pastor, he was afraid. And, 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 they, started to, oh, and they started to pray like, Lord Jesus, we ask you now, we, we need a miracle, we need a miracle. If they, if they hear us, yeah. they'll, they'll kidnap us. Yeah. And we're white. I mean, we're white. He's not. But, you know, and we start to pray and, and I'm just kind of kneeling in the back of the truck. I don't know what to do. So I'm just praying. I mean, it's black. You can't see your hand in front of your face. Is that black? And uh, all of a sudden, I've never... Ex- I've experienced it many times since, but not like this. The joy of the Lord fell like a blanket on that truck. At the most inopportune time, we are afraid for our lives. I can't explain it to you, but it was like somebody just threw a blanket over that truck. And Anthony looked at me and he goes, (laughs) and I looked at him and I go, (laughs) and we start laughing hysterically. I'll never forget it. I was rolling in the back of the pickup truck, holding my stomach saying, stop, stop, stop. 
And, and, and the one pastor, the Salvador pastor, he didn't enter in. And he kept telling us, shut up, they'll hear you. Shut up, they'll hear you. But Anthony and myself and another team member were laughing hysterically for 45 minutes. I've never laughed that hard for that long. And there was nothing funny. Our lives are in danger. And I mean, you know, when you laugh, you can get loud. Like you are hooting and hollering. And it's almost like God did that on purpose to let us know you don't need to be quiet when I'm in the car with you. When they tell you logic says shut up. But I, I mean, it was amazing because the opposite of what we should do, God violated that natural wisdom. And I mean, we were making a racket and a roar for 45 minutes. And that guy was, it would have taken, I don't know, it would, we could have been there for hours because they didn't even know where we were. And then all of a sudden we see lights come. And the man that was on the other side, he said, God spoke to me and said, go quickly. So he didn't even wait for us to show up. He got another vehicle and he started driving that same road, found us, threw us in his car and took us to the hotel. And they sent to people back in the daytime when it was safe to fix that car. But I'll never forget that, Jenny, the laughter of God in a life and death situation where you have to be quiet as a mouse. And we are laughing and roaring and just acting like we were drunk. I know what it feels like. Some of you heathens, you used to be drunkards. I know what that feels like because that's why it says, are these, are these drunk? As Remember they said that? Are these drunk? And he said, it's the ninth hour of the morning. How could they be drunk? But when you get filled with the Holy Ghost and you begin to get into that flow, you can actually take on the appearance of somebody that's drunk. And drunkards don't have any, they don't really care who's around them. They make inappropriate jokes. They laugh. They stumble. They're too loud. They're embarrassing. And here we are with killers in the forest. And the Holy Ghost is having us laugh uncontrollably for 45 minutes while the help is on the way. I believe that laughter, angels held back those gorillas while we laughed in the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget that as long as I live. What a night that was. A tree exploding and laughing in the face of terrorism. I, I tell you, I'll never forget that. I'm almost done. Well, I'm not almost done, but I'm going to be almost done for today. I'm telling you my story. We went to the slums and I've never seen poverty like that in my life. El Salvador? El Salvador. And we didn't see slums in Europe. They don't have slums in Hungary, 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 Romania. They don't have slums in Sweden, but they have slums. And I saw little two-year-olds fully naked in the, in the, in the 20-foot garbage heap eating garbage, eating feces from dogs. And it was the most traumatic experience in some ways because you don't know how to help them. And I would wrap them in blankets and I would pick them up. And they stank so bad. Feces all over them. Abandoned. And we would take them to orphanages and we would love them and we, would, we had medical supplies and we had diapers and clothes and we would take these little naked children and we'd clothe them. I'm telling you. There's something about it changes your life. But you have to have a renewed mind because the pastor that was with us the, the, from Canada, his wife came on the trip and she did not. She was a lawyer. Lawyers are great, but they often don't have renewed minds because they're very mental. Yeah. And she had not renewed her mind with the word and she had a mental breakdown in the slum. 
collapsed and she was incapacitated in her bed for the rest of the trip. She couldn't get out of bed. She would just sit there and go into convulsions and weep uncontrollably for hours. And I didn't know it at the time, but that's a demon spirit that got on her. Plus her soul did not know how to handle the, the extreme poverty. And so that, that, that response of the soul, that's not a renewed mind, opened the door and demons got a hold of her. And, uh, you know, just a sad, sad story. But I watched I watch smart people that have high education have mental breakdowns because they can't handle what so many people in the world live like. And yet we, we were able to help Jenny. We were able to pick up those little babies and we were to put clothes on them. I mean, I, I, I love the power of God. That's first all those healings, but we're also able to help people that were beyond destitute. It's one thing when a person is, but when you see a little child eating feces, uh, it does something to you. It marks you in a way that nothing else does. And to know that you can actually do something and that you can actually, you may, can't maybe change their whole life, but you can help them that day and you can try to get them to a pastor who when they get older can teach them. I'll never forget that, Jenny. It was a, it was a, a serious thing. Then, in 90, then at 18 years old, 1994, I graduated. That's after that mission trip, graduated, uh, graduated high school, grade 13, and uh, getting ready for Bible school. But I, before I went to Bible school, my pastor said, let's go back to El, El Salvador. So I said, yes, sir. Wherever you go, I go. As your heart is, remember? Remember, I, I, I'm Jonathan. He's David. Yeah. Not David. Sorry, I'm Jonathan's armor bearer. He's Jonathan. Whatever's in your heart, I'll do. He said, let's go back. I said, okay, we'll go back. We didn't do the youth conference that time. But what we did do is we went into the main square and we were doing preaching, open air preaching. And a couple of the people on our team would do skits, just short little skits. And, and you know, people, they would just gather. Hundreds of people would gather in that town square and they'd watch us. And then I'd get up or Anthony or somebody and would preach about Jesus and would say, would lay hands and people would get healed right there on the streets. And we had little books in Spanish and pastors were there with us from local churches and, and we'd get people saved. And as we're doing this, we're getting ready for another skit because we're there for two, three, four hours at a time. And Pastor Anthony, it's like he, he turned into a different person. He was, he was ministering and then all of a sudden he went, huh? And he said, Craig, let's go, 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 go. And I'm like, what? What's wrong with you? We're, we're about to preach. Get in the truck. Get in the truck. Get on. Go, go. Move, move. And none of us knew why he was doing that. We're, we're only halfway through our event. There's hundreds of people there in the square. And so I didn't know what was going on. So I grabbed the speaker and I'm grabbing. And our team, there's only about six, seven of us. We're grabbing everything and we're running. He said, run. And I, I what is going on? And we were running to this kind of mini bus thing and we we threw it he said just throw throw it in get it and he said drive i mean i'll never forget it. he was like crazy and the guy hit the gas we don't know what is going on and he's hitting the gas and as we turn the corner of the square another uh suv pulls up with automatic machine guns out the window and they started going all through the square right where we were standing and people were killed that day in that square. These are the guerrilla terrorists, anti-government people. And they just pulled up and just shot into the crowd indiscriminately with automatic gunfire. Right where we were preaching. And Pastor Anthony looked at me in the car. He said, when I tell you to do something, you don't talk back. Because I was saying, what's going on? We gotta, we're in the middle of preaching. You better listen. God didn't show me because I'm not the leader. God showed my pastor because my pastor has the spiritual responsibility for me. 
And sometimes he'll show me stuff that he doesn't show you. And when a command comes forth, it would behoove you not to question it under those circumstances. I'm not talking about in the counseling room, who should I marry? I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about sometimes there's danger and you don't even know the danger's there. You can't see while they're loading up their machine guns about to murder people. But the Holy Ghost saw it. And I remember before I had any doctrine from Dad Hagen or Dr. Dufresne or anybody about being led by the Spirit, my pastor lived that for me. And we're alive today because of that. And I'll end with this story and then we'll pick it up next week. I'm telling you my story because even though this is not a typical preaching, if you're smart, you'll extract nuggets from what I've said. Some of it at the beginning is just natural stuff, but I'm telling you spiritual, what am I doing? I'm reminding you of the wonders of the high God, my redeemer. These are wonders. This stuff makes people wonder. <laughs> How can you sing one phrase for an hour and hundreds of miracles? How can you laugh like a crazy person in the face of terrorism and God sends somebody they don't even know where you are? I'm telling you, this is the God of wonders. Your pastor's not a normal pastor. I know most pastors don't have these stories, but I have these stories because I'm more than a pastor. I'm an apostle. And I didn't know that back then, but the seeds of that were in me and they were starting to germinate even back then. And if you'll just be patient with me over the next two weeks, I'm going to share some more of the past, but I'm also going to share about what's about to happen. Because some things have happened, my brother and sister, that you don't know about yet. Some things have happened since Richard Roberts were here. Some things happened last week uh, with Pastor Nancy in those meetings. God is beginning to do and open extraordinary doors for our future. Why? Because we have been faithful in our past. And I am reminding you, do not forget the wonders of your creator. God said, you take your time and you tell him your story because your story holds my wonders in it. My childhood, other than, you know, the mirror, like the red record, but, the, but I'm just, not all of my childhood has wonders in it. I'm telling you my story because I'm giving you a, a progressive view so you can have a full picture. But what I'm talking about in these things is the wonders of God. I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for it. You have a heritage. Because I'm your pastor, what's on me has come to a measure into you. By DNA osmosis, it comes into you. There's a strength in me, and there's a fearlessness in me, and it's not me because I'm not like that naturally, but the anointing is on me for that. And you need it in this day and age. You need it. You need strength. Because there's a bunch of wussies everywhere you look. We're not like that here. We have strength. For the battle of God. We're not going to be like Ephraim that was armed and turned back in the day of battle. We're going to remember and we're going to plow forward. Glory to God. And the very next day after our life was spared, we had a day off and we had this lovely lunch on the beach. You know, this poor people, but you know, not nice ones like you would like, but you know, when you don't got nothing there, any restaurant is nice. And we're just having fish and we're just enjoying it. And he says, we got a few hours. I'm going to go for a walk on the beach. I said, I'm going to go swimming. And he goes, well, just be careful. I said, of course. I said, Pastor Anthony, I can swim better than you. I'm from Africa. I know what I'm doing. So Milton says, can I come with you? I said, sure, you come with me. And so he says, let's throw the football together. I said, sure, we shall. And so we're just in the knee-deep water. And Anthony's starting to walk. And he calls to me and he says, don't go deep. You see, he just said to me the day and night before, when I give you an instruction, don't talk back. Are you listening? And I said, don't worry, Pastor Anthony. I know what I'm doing. 
I think that's called talking back. I'm, I'm just giving you nuggets. And we're throwing and we're throwing and then we're up to waist deep water. But that's not in my mind deep. We're not in swimming water. We're in waste, we're, we're, we're up here water. No, of course, I don't know Milton can't swim. He didn't tell me. He also has an afro the size of Virginia. <laughs> and he's a wrestler of 250 pounds. Not a good combination when you're in the water. Because his, his afro alone holds at least 30 pounds of water. You know, sorry, Greg, but it, it's the truth. And, and I wish I had one, but I'm just saying, you used to have one. I saw pictures of you when you were young. Uh, you can't go swimming with that afro, Greg. It's just not, not going to work out, brother. And, uh, and so we're going, but then all of a sudden, uh, we're, 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 and, and we're throwing the football and we're diving for the football and going, we're having a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden, you know, a wave comes in, kind of knocks both of us off our feet. And, uh, and, I, and I'm reaching down for the, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the sand and there's no sand. And he starts to scream because he can't swim. And he said, and, and I, so I swim over to him and I said, it's okay, Milton, it's okay. We're fine. It's just, we, there must be a sandbar that we didn't know. Just come here. And then another wave hits. And he comes up and he swallowed water and he's choking. And, I, and I'm holding him. I said, it's okay. Calm down. It's right here. And so I grab him. He's 250 pounds. I'm 115 pounds at that time. And we're trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to doggy paddle back to the thing and I'm, I'm reaching for the sand and there's no sand. And then I realize the water is rushing past me out to sea and I'm not moving and I'm using all the strength I have to paddle back. But because there's a rip current, which I didn't know, and this is a non lifeguard beach because they don't, can't afford lifeguards in El Salvador. But there was a sign that had a shark on the beach. And I remember looking at that sign thinking, hmm. They must not have nets here, so we'll just stay in the shallows. Well, now we're not in the shallows. Do you know where sh when sharks feed? In the twilight. That's their favorite time. And the sun is almost... And he's, he's coughing, and I'm starting to panic because I, I don't know what to do. And I, I'm just saying, Milton, calm down. And so all I'm doing is I'm holding, I'm saying, kick your legs, kick your legs, like a tadpole, kick your legs. And so he starts doing that, and he starts kind of staying buoyant. And, uh, but I'm, we got to swim. We got to swim. We got to swim. And he can swim. So I'm saying, just, just pull, pull the water, pull the water. We got, and I'm starting to get desperate. I'm starting to get upset with him because he's not really doing it right. And he's not his fault. He doesn't know what he's doing, but I'm, but the water is rushing past us and it's pulling us. And there's a red umbrella. That was our marker on the beach. There was a red umbrella and we're cool. And I said, you've got to try Milton. You've got to try. And, 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 and he's 30 minutes later. My legs are on fire. I mean, the lactic, I mean, my legs are, uh, and, I, and I would say, Milton, I've got to let you go. I, I've got I've to sink beneath. I've just got to rest my legs because I'm going to pass out. And so he, I let him go, and then I would sink down. I would, I would literally sink just to, let, just to get that pain out of my legs just for a second. And then I'd paddle up to the surface, and he's thrashing and screaming and hyperventilating. And so I grab him, and then, and then, he, and then he starts pulling me under. He starts drowning, and I start drowning. And I'm holding him and I said, you got to let me go. And he wouldn't. And so I clocked him one right in the face. And you have to do that. And it shocked him. And I said, stop it. You're going to kill us. Kick your feet. And at that point I knew there's no way we can get into the shore. The red umbrella is now an inch tall. And, and the sun's going down. And there was a shark attack the week before. We found out later somebody was eaten the week before at that beach. But thank God we found that out later. And so... I didn't want to know that. I saw the sign, but I didn't want to know. Anyway, 
And I thought, we're just gonna, I'm just going to keep them afloat as long as I can. And they're going to have to send lifeguards. I mean, Anthony eventually is going to see that we're not there. He's going to call the, do they even have a Coast Guard in El Salvador? Do they have canoes? What do they have? It's a poor country. I don't know what they have. I don't know if they have helicopters. I don't know, but I just, I, we're going to go out into the ocean. And, and, and they're going to try to, we're going to have to, I don't know what we're going to do. And I start to panic. Because he's, he's, he's crying. A grown man. Well, not a grown man. He's 23 years old, but just weeping, 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 hyperventilating. I've seen grown men, with, they see death. They're looking at death in the, and they don't know how to have faith. And so I start to get, I start to panic. And I said, and I said to, I said to the Lord, I couldn't tell him. I said, Lord, he's going to drown. I know he's going to drown. And if I, if I stay with him, I'm going to die. I know it. I know it inside. I'm going to die. I don't want to die today. I started to cry. I said, I don't want to die today. I, I, you saved us from the machine guns yesterday. I don't want to die today. I'm going to die if I don't leave him. But how can I leave him? If I leave him, he'll die. How can I ever live with myself? But if I stay with him, we'll both die. I know we're going to die. And I'm weeping. I mean, I'm crying. I'm panicking. He's panicking. It was a bad moment. I didn't try to not listen to the pastor, but he said, don't go deep. I didn't think that was deep, but I should have been paying attention. Anyway, I'm at the end of my wits and I have to make a decision. And I was on the verge of, I'm going to have to leave him. I know that sounds selfish, but the survival mechanism kicks in. And the adrenaline is pumping at full steam. And I had to make a decision if it's going to be me or if, if both of us or him. And I, and I was right at that moment where I was about to break loose of him and start to swim like whatever for the shore. And uh, just as I was about to let go, Jenny, I see, I see just a glimpse just a glimpse because the, the waves are so big and the ocean swells are so large and it's so loud. You don't realize how loud it is when you're in the ocean. You can't hear when people are calling because of the, the, the waves and the crashing and everything. And, and, and I just saw a glimpse of what I thought was a person. And then, the, you know, the swell, they disappear. And then I look back and, and there's, there he is. There he is riding the waves on his stomach. The 6'3". John, who was a member of our team and the young adult, but he came to help Pastor Nancy. And I had no idea he even could swim. And I did not know that he was like a human torpedo. And he's out there further than us, enjoying body surfing. Yeah, that's John. Long Just long and lean and 6'3 and strong yeah, as an ox. Excellent. And I didn't even know he could swim. I didn't know he was out there. No. And I'm screaming. And now I'm holding him because I'm thinking he doesn't have to die. And I'm holding him and I'm screaming, John, John, and I'm waving. And I'm thinking, maybe I should let him go and swim to him, but then he'll drown. So I'm holding him. Milton is just weeping. He's just like just hyperventilating. And I don't know how he saw me, but he saw me and he swam over. And he said, what is going on? I said, we're about to die. I said, you've got to take him or we're both going to drown. He said, give him to me. Thank God, John, God sent that man to save our lives or at least to save Milton's life. And he took them, and within about one minute, I couldn't see them. The rip current had taken them so far. And I just said, Lord, i got to get back to the shore. Uh, you understand, this is now an hour treading water, holding somebody up. Like my legs feel like, uh, like I, they're almost numb. I can't feel them. And I said, Lord, so I start to swim, and I'm not making any progress because that tide is still pulling. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, catch the waves. I said, Lord, I don't have a board. I don't know how to body surf. I know how to do it with a board, but not on my own. He said, catch the waves. I said, you're going to have to help me. And so that first wave came and I caught it. 
And when that wave takes you, it takes you a good 20, 30 feet. I can't even see the red umbrella. It's a speck of red. And it's almost dark. And I catch one wave, and then I'm so excited. I catch the other one, I go too fast. And I went over the top. And the wave is about at least 9, 10 feet tall. I felt my body fall through the air. I mean, it was tall enough that you could feel the free fall. And I hit that bottom and that thing smashed me and pushed me down. And I'm rolling and rolling and rolling and rolling. And I come back up and another one hits me and I go down and I'm rolling and rolling and rolling. And I come back up and I got a half breath before that other one hit me. And now I've got water that I've swallowed with a half breath and it pushed me down about 30 feet. And I know what it feels like to drown because I started to drown. When people drown, they start going into an automatic reflex action, which is they start to breathe. Your body breathes whether you're, it has to breathe. So it breathes, but what you do is you breathe in water. And that's where they convulse like this. If you ever see somebody drowning, they're convulsing because they're breathing in water. And I was right. I was so deep. And I looked up and there was no breath left. And I could see just up there the surface of the water and I knew I couldn't get to it and I started to panic and I was starting to go into that convulsion where I was you know when you get to the point where you have to have air you have to your body can't not have it and I'm right at that point where I was about to breathe in that it's like a jerk flex reaction I'm about to breathe in that and it was just I was right there Jennifer and I heard an audible voice I'm telling you Jesus loves me so much under the water just call me aquaman i heard an audible voice under the water and he said if you struggle and he said it just like that loud and strong if you struggle you die let the water take you son and i remember thinking how can i let the water take me i can't breathe and i remember i went into the fetal position under the water and I closed my eyes and I mean i'm at that point of convulsion and i closed my eyes and when i closed my eyes tight my, my lungs filled with oxygen. To this day, I don't know how that happened. It was a working of miracles. And I'm 30 feet down, about to convulse with, with contractions of, of, of drowning, and, and my lungs filled up. I could feel them like a, like a, like a balloon. They went shh. And, and, and I thought, I don't have to breathe. And, I, and it took me for about maybe 45 seconds a minute. And it just rolled me and rolled me and rolled me and rolled me. And I remember thinking, this is the most peaceful experience of my life it was so peaceful I don't have to explain it to you and I didn't have to breathe and I actually started enjoying it like thinking wow this is what a rag doll feels like it's weird what your mind thinks and then I heard the Lord another audible voice come and say swim for the surface and I looked up and I started swimming up I didn't need to breathe I swimmed all the way up 30 feet 25 30 feet breach I didn't go because I got up and I, my, my lungs were filled with oxygen. That's a, called the working of miracles. And you know why? She's sitting right on the front row. So you make sure you honor her. Because her prayers saved my life. She was praying for me. The devil wants to kill us. And if you open even the tiniest door, he'll try to take you out. And, I, and then I knew... With that miracle, I knew I'm going to make it. Even if I have to swim under the water to get to the shore, I'm going to make it. I'm an Aquaman. And I caught the next wave, and I caught the next wave, and I caught about 15 waves in a row. Until finally, I, 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 I could swim the rest of the way, and I put my feet down, and that, that sand never felt so good in my life. And I remember I ran up on the shore, and I collapsed, because with your muscles working like that, that took over an hour and a half 
that whole experience. And I, and I literally couldn't run. I, I, I was, and, I, and I would collapse on the thing because my legs just wouldn't work. And I would stand up and I would collapse on the ground again and I was screaming and Anthony was there. He didn't even know anything had happened. He thought we were walking. And he ran over and said, what's going on? And I said, Milton's out there with John. I said, we've almost died. We need to, we need to get help. You need to, we need to call the Coast Guard. So he takes off into the village to call the police. And, and, and I'm just lying there and I can feel my legs, they're numb, but there's no one else that, 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 that it can swim. So there was an inner tube, you know, like an inner tube of a car. And it was in, uh, somebody ran to the junk heap and got an inner tube and they brought it to me. And, I, and so I started going back out into the water uh, with that inner tube to try to get, a, to, get to them, to, to help them. And as I was past the bar and I was already into the dark, deeper waters, and I, I, it was dark now. But I could see, because the moon was out, and I could see just this shimmer of light, and I could see John. And then I, I turned back because I knew he didn't need my help. Milton's 250 pounds, Jenny. He's a wrestler. Yeah. John is 6'3 and just narrow and thin and lean. But John yeah. caught this 10-foot wave. He had Milton under his arm like a barrel. Yeah. I could see his afro. Yeah. He had him under his arm like a barrel with one arm out and he's catching these waves. I've never seen a, an athlete do that in my life. And, he, and, I just, and I'm just kind of treading water looking at him and he just caught the wave and then, you know, then Milton's there and then they catch another wave and he puts him under his arm and they're just catching the waves. In. So I swam back to the shore and I'm waiting and Milton gets up there and he collapses and he just starts weeping vomiting, weeping, vomiting. And to this day, he was so traumatized by that, he has never touched water again ever in his life. He won't go into a pool. He won't go into the ocean. I've met with him. I've tried to counsel him. I was like, brother, you can't, you can't let that fear. He, and he just, he, uh, don't talk to me. I said, I saved your life. I have a right to talk to you. He said, you, you were going to leave me. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? I said, no, I wasn't. He said, if John didn't come, you were going to leave me. I said, I'm not ready to go to heaven yet. No. It's not your fault you can't swim, not mine. But I saved your life. Yeah. But to this day, he's never touched water ever. But God saved his life. God can use natural people to save your life. God can also do the working of miracles and angels to save your life. Elves angels kept those sharks away from us. Those angels put oxygen where there was no oxygen. I'm telling you my story because that is a wonder. That is a sign and a wonder. And yet there's some valuable nuggets in there. Pay attention when your man of God says something to you. Don't, don't slough them off. I know what I'm doing. I'm fine. I'm fine. Pay attention because if I'd paid more attention instead of looking at my ability of, 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 of water ability, which... Growing up on the beaches of Africa, I have more than the average person. But instead of looking at that, what I should have said is, when my pastor just said twice to me, don't go deep, maybe we should stay in knee-deep water. See, if I'd listened, none of that would have happened. But in the midst of a failure, God saved, saved us through the power of, the, of his wonders. This is my story. How many times I, I shouldn't be here today? How many times I should be dead? And, and some of you are praying, Lord, why did you save him? I mean, if you, if you hadn't have, we would be out of church eating turkey already. Just wait till Kenneth Copeland comes. Then you'll know what a long sermon is. Then you'll ask for me back. Heavenly Father, I'm telling him my story. And my story holds the wonders of the high redeemer. You have saved my life. 
you have, you have led me on a journey to this place. And Lord, you said, take your time, son, and tell them what I've done. But then tell them what I'm about to do. I haven't got to the what about to do yet. I'm still telling them what you've done. But this is my story. And it's valuable that we do not forget, like your word tells us. Lord, if we remember, we have hope. If we remember, it helps us to want to obey you more. Lord, we're not going to provoke you and limit you by forgetfulness. We're going to show honor by our, mem our remembrance is an honor. You said, do this in remembrance of me for communion. We show you honor by remembering what you did. Lord, I also show you honor in these three-week series by remembering what you've done to bring me to this place for promise of life. And also let these people be inspired and encouraged that you don't love me not a lick more than you love any of them and you'll do the same for them, the same for their children, the same in their, when they're in dangerous or overwhelming situations, whether physically or in danger, financially, maritally, relationally, in whatever capacity, when it seems overwhelming, the power of God will deliver them. Because you've delivered me more than your fair share, Father, and I thank you for it. This is my story. This is my song. I'm praising my Savior all my day long. And Lord, I love you with all my heart. You impress me, Holy Ghost. Help us to impress you back. In Jesus' mighty name. Sorry for taking so long. Thank you for listening. Please come back next week. I, I shouldn't have to ask you to come back. You should come because you love Jesus. But we're going to pick this up and I'm going to share more.